All right, I want to find out how many of you have been raised properly. Okay, this is a very important question. I'm going to pantomime something, and I want you to just shout out. As soon as you know what it is, shout it out, and we'll see. You don't win anything for this, okay? But just to see. It's, it's, I'm picking a piece of food up. Oh, a handful of you were raised right. Isn't that awesome? Okay, let's move on. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? As I'm studying Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what I'm discovering is Abraham's over here and Jacob's over here and Isaac is the best part. Right? He's right in the middle. So I call him Oreo Isaac. And you will always remember that now from this day forward. When somebody mentions Isaac, you'll say, yes, the Oreo. Why? Well, he's different for this reason. He is the son of a great father and the father of a great son. He stands in between two who are talked about in Scripture. There's, in Genesis, there are these themes. There's the creation and the fall. There's the flood with Noah. And then there's Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. And little old Isaac is just kind of stuck in there because the first part of his life is totally attached to Abraham. The second part of his life is totally attached to Jacob. He really doesn't have much of his own, but he did something the other two did not. He stayed in the land that God gave him. He didn't flee in time of famine. He also only married one woman, the smartest of the three guys. And he had two kids by her alone. That's it. And where Abram became Abraham and Jacob became Israel, Isaac never changed his name. He stayed the same. Abraham was a man of altars, Jacob a man of tents, and Isaac a man of wells. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The legacy that Abraham passed down to Isaac was one of faith, great faith. But it was a mixed legacy as each of us received. Because not only was there the legacy of faith, there is the legacy of deceit. We'll find that in a few minutes. But to begin this study of Isaac, to understand the legacy he received and that he passed on, we have to actually jump back to an event that we spoke of last week in Genesis chapter 22, where God had spoken to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, take him over to a place that I will show you three days from here, Mount Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, the scripture doesn't give us Isaac's viewpoint on this. And I think we have the right to imagine what this teenager would normally do. I mean, if you're going to go in at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and wake up a teenage boy and tell him it's time to get up, how's he going to react? You know, that's right. But there's no comment. He says, Abraham rose early in the morning. He and his son took the servants and the things they needed, and they went on a three-day journey. He never said a word. He didn't complain. They get to the bottom of the mountain. And here, Abraham tells those servants, if you remember from last week, the boy and I are going to go up there, and then we'll come back. No comment. They start up the wall, up the hill, get to that top of that mountain, and Isaac speaks for the first time. He says, Dad, 
where's the meat for the sacrifice? Because normally they would have a lamb with them. And that's where Abraham answers and says, no, God will provide himself. No comment from Isaac. Now they get to the top of the mountain. To make a sacrifice, you have to build a fire. If you're going to put a human on it, it has to be a pretty big fire. And you have to have something to lay that human upon. Together they build this. Isaac, no comment. And then Abraham breaks the news. You know, good news, bad news. Good news is we're ready. Bad news is you're it. Climb up there, son. No comment. He gets on there. More than likely, Abraham tied him down so that he would stay on there. But Isaac says nothing. Even as the knife is coming down, you don't hear, why? Why are you doing this? Why don't you hear anything from Isaac? Why is he silent in all of this period of time? It's because he trusts his father's faith. He knows that his father has a special relationship with the God of the universe. He's heard the stories of creation and the fall and the flood. He knows all about that. And he knows that this God is real and that he talks to his dad. And so when he's asked to do something by his earthly father, he believes that this is a, a step of faith that he must exercise now based on his father's faith. That's hard to do, isn't it? Years ago, many years ago, my nephew, my brother's only son, was at Wheaton College. He was just a brilliant young man doing wonderfully over there. He ran the Urbana Conference back there in the, the early 80s, and he came to visit us one weekend. And he sat with me, and, and here's how he fashioned his statement. He said, I want you to tell your brother. That's his father. You know, don't tell my father. I want you to tell your brother that I cannot live on his faith. I have to have a faith of my own. That's a huge statement. You see, we inherit by legacy the faith of those who have gone before us, but we can't live on it. I've been here for five fall seasons. Every fall, I have some students come from the university into my office, and they say, I think I'm losing my faith. And I say, I don't think you're losing your faith. I think you've been trying to live on your parents' faith. And their eyes open. You see, they're being challenged because they're in a world now that has difficulty with those of us who believe in Christ. And they're moving in these settings, challenged day in and day out. And if they're going to reach back to their parents for faith, it's not going to work. You have to build a faith of your own. I believe Isaac's faith began in a tremendous way at that moment when he was passive. Now follow this. Abraham was actively doing what God told him to do. Isaac was passively doing what God told him to do. The son of God actively did what his father told him to do. And the son of God passively stopped anyone from keeping him from doing 
what God called him to do. He did not call legions of angels to deliver him. He passively stood before those who accused him. So what you see in this picture on the mountain is, is Abraham and Isaac, the active obedience of Christ, the passive obedience of Christ. And later, near that same location, a few centuries, you're going to see the Son of God himself offering himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. So this is a significant moment for Isaac. Now, he has the foundation of faith. He has believed God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. We move ahead because we've called that the wood, and that becomes important later. His sitting on the wood, lying on the wood, being willing to be sacrificed is a huge step of personal faith. Time goes by, perhaps as many as 22 years. His dad wants to make sure he marries the right woman, and he says, I don't want him marrying some of these Canaanite people. And he sends a servant and says, go back to my family people and find someone there who will marry my son Isaac. And he finds Rebecca, and he brings her back. And Rebecca and Isaac, now 40 years old, fall in love, they marry. And Abraham now is about to die. Why? I love the way the Bible puts it. The Bible says, and he was about to be gathered to his ancestors at a good old age. That's what I want said of me. You know, I was gathered to my ancestors, not he died. Okay? I was gathered to my ancestors, and I definitely want the good old age part. All right, he was 175, so got a ways to go. Yeah, but that would make Alan like 140 or something. So just hang in there. Right, he, he's married now, and he's living in the same location where his dad lived. And some things are taking place. But a famine came. And I want to read from the scriptures to you what God said happened in the famine. Genesis chapter 26. There was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Now, this is not the same Abimelech as the one Abraham went to because Abimelech is actually a title for king. And so it's two different people. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt like Abraham had. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. You see what God has just said? Because of Abraham's obedience, I'm going to bless you, Isaac. God blesses the generations beyond because you and I stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And it's important that we understand that, that this whole concept of where does our faith come from? Well, it begins in those who preceded us, and whatever it is they did in obedience to God is counted to us, and we get to pull that forward and take it with us. The problem is, 
Other things come with that. Legacy passes down not just good, it can also pass down bad. Here's what we see happens with Isaac. Isaac realizes that he is in this land and he has this beautiful bride and her name is Rebecca and he's scared to death that if he goes in there with her and it's his wife, that they will take her away from him. So what does he say to the king? The same thing his father said to the king. She is my sister. The legacy of deceit. It passes down. He acts on it. He can't blame Abraham because he made the choice. And he's going to pass that same thing down to Jacob so that Jacob becomes liar, deceiver. You see, you and I have inherited some things from those who've gone before us, and we need to figure out what those things are so that we're able to deal with them quickly and remove them from the legacy. Because I do not want to pass down to my children and my grandchildren, nor should you, those things which I know I did not do in obedience to the Lord. I want to keep a short account and a clean account. Why did he do that? Because he had a gap in his faith. Every one of us have gaps in our faith. We have times when we make decisions apart from the will of God. Someone said this, if God just engaged Isaac and promised to be with him, nothing but his own unbelief and his distrust can prevent his comfort. It's unbelief. Remember the one who said to Jesus, yes, I believe, help my unbelief? That should be a constant prayer for you and me. You know, I have great faith, but there are times when that faith wavers a little here and there. Understand what Allison was saying, that if, if all of us knew everything about all of us, none of us would be here. But for the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, we are here. We're all here. And we're standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Isaac is saying, well, you can give me flocks. You can give me many nations of people. You can do all these things, but I don't think you can protect my wife. Really? Is anything impossible with God? You know what God did? He moved on the king's heart, Abimelech, and Abimelech actually goes to him and says, I wish you hadn't done this because we could get in big trouble with your God because he believed in this God. And he said, so you're welcome to stay here. He turned everything around on him. You can stay. Everything will be fine. But his unbelief ruled over his belief. That's why he did it. Never let your unbelief rule over your belief. Where God has decided something, don't doubt him. Listen to what God says, not to your own inclinations. Especially if God has already settled it, let it be. You have to learn to trust God more and trust yourself to trust God. I don't just say, well, let go and let God. That's not biblical. Biblical is, I've been given a mind to bring every thought captive to the word of God and to decide with counsel from others, with the study of scripture, and in talking to God himself, is this something you want me to do, Lord? Isaac missed that. But then things changed for him. He inherited the wells that his father had dug. 
in Genesis chapter 26, beginning in verse 12, we see how God blessed him. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means that every seed that Isaac and his people dropped produced. That doesn't happen. That's supernatural. But God blessed him supernaturally. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. See, he reaches back into his legacy, and he said, okay, my life is not going to be ruled by dry wells. I'm not going to let that happen. My, my father left me wells. The Philistines came against me. I'm going to dig those wells. So he redug the wells, and they all produced water, and they came back to life, and he gave them the same names that his father had given them. What is he doing? He's honoring the legacy. What's the commandment? Honor your mother and father in the Lord. Your days should be long upon the earth. The only commandment with a promise. He's honoring what his father had done. Now, the herders still don't like this. So they're going to drive him further away. And in that driving away, those dry wells, he digs another one. And they come and they say, we don't want you to have that one. So he names it Essek, which means contention. He leaves it there, goes and digs another well. They give opposition against that, so he names it Sitna, which means opposition. You see, what's happening is this. Where God wants to give you living water, where he wants to pour into you who he is, he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit, because throughout Scripture, the references to living water, Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew the water I would give you to drink, you'd never thirst again. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. When the scripture says, come to the waters and drink for free, he's talking about the move of the Holy Spirit. When water came out of the rock in the wilderness, that was symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit. So what Isaac is recognizing here, not as much as you and I know, but he's recognizing, I need a well that produces. And I've got to come against contention. I've got to come against opposition. If you're a Christian today, you better believe you're going to be against opposition and contention. It's happening right now in our nation. We don't do political messages, but boy, if we could. Not against a particular party, but against sin. And, and this is what is going to come against you. Your faith is going to be challenged. And you can't live on the faith on whose shoulders you stand, you have to live on your own faith. And so in that own faith, you have to keep digging. You must keep digging those dry spots in your life to let the living water come into them. 
to let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you to teach you how you are to live. That's what he was after. That's what he was trying to do. The life of Christ shows us this because Christ himself was under opposition and contention the entire time he was on this earth, especially in those public ministry years from about 29 to 33 in age. Everyone was after him, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Romans. Whoever could come against him would, but what did he do? He actively did what the Father called him to do, and he passively kept from doing that which he could have done. He carried out the role of Redeemer so that you and I could have that living water flowing through us and bubbling out like springs. That's what the scripture says. And in that, then, we learn to stand on those who went before us knowing that their obedience now passes down to you and me certain things. I have a great uncle who was a Presbyterian pastor in Washington, Georgia. I have a great grandfather who was a Methodist pastor riding a circuit in West Virginia and in Kentucky. So grandfather, great uncle, passing down on my mother's side, on my father's side, coming down to me, to my brother, to my sister. I'm the pastor, my brother's the theologian, brilliant man. My sister is the servant in soup kitchens and everything else, serving and loving the Lord. The three of us, we're standing on the shoulders of relatives who went before us. And what I want to do is, is I want to say to you, you want to leave big shoulders for those who come after you whether it's a niece or a nephew, even a friend, you want to be able to say to them, this is the blessing I give you. It's my faith, my faith in God. I want you to understand it, but I want you to have your own. And that's what Isaac was doing. So Isaac hears from God in Genesis 26, 24. God says, that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. For the sake of my servant, great grandfather Hostetter, then he is blessing me and will bless my children. I hold on to that, that legacy that's been given to me, but it's not their faith that causes me to live. So what does Isaac do? He goes out and he digs a well. And this is where the wells portion of, our, of the message comes together. He digs a well and it only takes them one day to dig it. That's unheard of. And what he locates is a flowing stream of water, not just a pool of water that is just fed gradually from a spring. He's got this flowing water and he calls it Sheba, S-H-I-B-A-H, Sheba, which means the well of oath. Because you see, God renewed his covenantal oath to Isaac that day. And by doing that, he digs a well and he says, this is the well of oath. It's a flowing, living water. That's what you and I are looking for, that flowing, living water. Jesus Christ renewed this oath with you and with me. On that evening with the disciples when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, 
That was the beginning. When he hung on that cross and gave himself for you and me, that was the closure. And when he rose again, that was the seal that we are sealed into that living water. And we have life everlasting. How can you not have faith in one who rose from the dead? Because he's the only one who's ever done it and is still alive. We have this great faith in him. It was a different well. It's a different life. So what are your contentions? What are your oppositions? What's taking place in your life? Who are those upon whose shoulders you're standing? I would challenge you to go out and, and look that up. Try to remember those that have gone before you. Now Isaac is old. He's about to be gathered to his ancestors at a good old age. But prior to that, he prays and says, God, I want children. I want that promise. And God causes Rebekah to have twins, Jacob and Esau. Next week, Alan's going to be talking to you about Jacob, and I'm sure he'll touch on Esau. You can't separate these twins. But when the twins are born, that legacy is passed down again. And Jacob is duly named the grasper of the heel or liar, deceiver. You see, it's still in the lineage. Look back in your lineage, see where it's coming from, draw a line in the sand and say no more. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. Now, Isaac watches the boys grow and he knows it's his time to die. And so he does something that at that time was an Eastern tradition. He calls them together because he wants to bless them. And the blessing, according to Genesis 35, 11, which is a blessing to Jacob, says, God said to Jacob, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful, increase in number. A nation, community of nations will come from you. Kings will be among your descendants. The, the NIV says it this way. The King James says, and kings will come from your loins. Why would they say that? Because in those old days, they said, all the descendants are here in the thigh. That's just how they expressed it. And so when they were on their deathbed and they'd bring their children in, they'd say, put your hand under my thigh. And that is, I'm putting it where life is. And now I'm going to bless you because of that life. Esau should have received the first blessing. He was the eldest. But Jacob deceived Esau. And Rebekah helped Jacob deceive Esau. And Jacob comes in and he gets the blessing from his father that has passed down from his father because he is the son of a great father and the father of a great son. And it's not right that he got it. But it was God's plan. And it worked out the way God wanted it to work out. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up now. Because here's what I want to say. When you think of the wood and the well and the words, you need to think of Jesus Christ. He laid himself on the wood and sacrificed himself so that he could pour forth the water from the well, the Spirit of God, to live inside of us. And then he spoke those words. And the words were, you know, many but come unto me, you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to the water and drink, all of you who thirst, drink for free. Jesus is the living water. 
The Spirit of God is here today to live in you. The question is, are you standing on someone's shoulders? That's great if you are, but are your shoulders big enough now for others to stand upon? That should be your goal. I would long for that day that God may allow me to be on my bed, about to be gathered to my ancestors in my good old age, and I could call my children and my grandchildren together. I wouldn't have them put their arms or hands under my legs, but I'd gather them around because I want to bless them. I want to pass down a blessing. And the best one I can think of is the one that Aaron gave, you know, that, that God will bless you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up your count, his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. I want them to live in peace. And I want my faith to be exhibited in such a way that it is so great with all of its flaws, with all of the dry wells, yet I am forgiven. God loves you so much and he has forgiven you everything. Be of great faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And we do worship you. We know how much you love us. So this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not expressed that love back to you, open their hearts today. Open their minds to hear and their eyes to see Jesus as Savior. Accept him, receive him, and be blessed in him. For these things we pray, Lord, asking you to increase our faith in your precious name. Amen. We stand as we continue to worship together.